0: I'm too tired. I'm, I'm, I was trying to make a Watson Sherlock joke, but I'm too tired for even completing that. Hey, Vanessa. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, Adam. Not asking you how you feel. I can see it on your face.
0: Uh, yes. <laughs> also, I encourage people to dispense with asking people how they feel. I know. You hate this, it. Although this, this I, when I do ask torture. you, I do
1: generally want to know the answer. I'm not I, I actually. Don't,
0: I don't think you're I don't think you don't. But you mostly do that to torture me. In mm-hmm. The same way that I insist on people using my full name in professional settings so that they have to go through the whole thing and see how uncomfortable it makes them. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uncomfortable things, first of all, welcome to uncertain things. Second, there's a war in the Middle East. In case you don't know, this Saturday Hamas combatants infiltrated Israel and carried out the most brutal massacre of Jews since the Holocaust.
1: And I think it's just worth being very clear, especially for Americans like me who may be a bit more ignorant of the situation, and it's, it is very difficult to, to understand, but <laughs> Hamas is not synonymous with Palestinians, right? There is a distinction between Palestinian people and Hamas, which is a political party slash terrorist organization, rules rules. Over Palestinians in in Gaza, and you can distinguish that from other political parties or representatives like the Palestinian Liberation Authority but i I just think Americans tend to conflate <laughs> Hamas with Palestinians. I think it's very important to have this distinction in in your minds
0: yes, the Palestinians are the people the people who are vying for national independence and have a long and complicated and bloody and tragic history with Israel where mutual atrocities have been commenced over the years. Hamas is a political group. It is a terrorist organization. It is a dictatorship, a, a theocratic, kleptocratic coterie of mobsters that supported by Qatar and Iran, whose sole purpose, as explicitly described in its charter, is not to provide welfare for the Palestinians who live under its reign, but to purge the land of Israel from Jews. They have been ruling the little strip of land called Gaza since 2006, after Israel has unilaterally extricated all its forces and its presence from it in order to enable Palestinian independent rule in that territory. Immediately following this disengagement, this unilateral disengagement, Hamas was elected into office democratically and then less democratically went on to exterminate all opposition, all members of the opposition party who fled to the West Bank, literally throwing them out of the windows. And from that moment on, never held a single democratic election, has oppressed the people of Gaza, and has devoted all resources, all resources, that the Gazans have been able to accrue either by work or through foreign aid, and devoted it exclusively to develop a war machine against Israeli civilians. In the years that followed, Hamas used its independence to launch a barrage of rockets targeting civilian Israeli cities around the Strip and further into the country. Civilian cities. In response, Israel implemented a blockade to prevent the flow of weapons and terrorists into the country. This Saturday, Hamas death squads have infiltrated the apparently quite porous blockade, raided civilian towns around the country, and executed a full-scale massacre. They have butchered over 1,300 people, most of them civilian, and counting, by the way. They have injured maimed, tortured, and brutalized over 3,300 people, mostly civilian, including old women, children, even toddlers. They have kidnapped over 150 people, mostly civilian. And it was not just your run in the mill orchestrated slaughter. This was a proper blood orgy. And we know that... Because in addition to the brutality, the Hamas militants went the extra step of filming themselves and then sharing it publicly. Proudly. Because they were proud of it. And because they thought it's going to break the resolve of Israelis. And lastly, because... Terrorists want to get a response. The internal logic of terrorism is to provoke their enemies into an overreaction, to push your enemy into commencing a monstrous atrocity that you believe they're capable of, to turn them into the monsters you see them as. The proliferation of these images on social media is part of the strategy. It's not simply because Hamas wants to own the hashtag dead babies space. Sorry if I'm getting dark. This is, uh, this has been, this has been a week, and this is how I cope with things.
1: If somehow you missed it, Adam is Israeli. I don't know how you missed it. it, but if somehow you did, this is hitting very close to home. Literally. Literally.
0: And if you want my more immediate reaction, I... I had a conversation about this as the news was still coming out, just to show you how early it was at that point. We knew of only 250 dead with Jonah Goldberg on the Remnant podcast. So you should listen to that for the context, my immediate thoughts about the Israeli response, the mood in Israel and the future of the Middle East. If you want even bleaker thoughts, I shared them to the private audience of the Dispatch members on a recording of Dispatch Live yesterday. So, this conversation is um, less an intellectual inquiry of the type that we usually try to achieve, as our friend Josh puts it, an embrace and grappling with epistemological uncertainty. And more so, uh, a need for some catharsis.
1: Although I will in, say at the beginning of this conversation, you were remarkably buttoned up. It's only towards the end where you started to let the... the sh-
0: where the shirt comes off.
1: The buttons fall, yeah.
0: So Vanessa here is indulging me in, in her tender attentiveness, but I needed somebody in whose righteous anger I could bask.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm not great for righteous anger. I'm not your go-to <laughs> gal.
0: For that, though I'm training you, I'm trying to train you slowly. I texted, um, I think a day or two after the the news started coming out, to Eli Lake, host of the Reeducation podcast. I I told him, you are my source for wisdom and catharsis on this area region. Please join, and he said yes. And the following conversation will be that. But I just need to give it some context. First, like I said, this is not the sort of heady, self-inquisitive type of conversation that we keep trying to do. This is a little more for my soul, a little soul purging or cleansing for myself and for anybody like me who might be in need of it, uh, which I suspect there are quite a few. I think there is some... Valuing it because we try to offer some philosophical hygiene, I might say, I might call it, but let me get to this in a second. I want to preamble all of it with one clear point. Regardless of what we think about this current incident, regardless of the horror and rage that we feel entitled to at this point, nothing justifies any kind of bloodthirst or bloodlust in retaliation. Our tone of rage should not be at any point interpreted as an endorsement of reckless behavior. In fact, one thing that I keep reminding myself in these moments is how rightfully we should cling to the, the, the moral hypocrisies that we define ourselves by, even if we don't always live up to them. Because it's in aspiring to them that we become better people, those hypocrisies and those fantasies that we have about ourselves that stop us from turning into the monsters who have committed this pogrom mm-hmm. over the weekend so and
1: and just to in, in case in case it isn't clear, talking about the the hypocrisies being the, the higher standards we hold ourselves to, even though we never actually meet them. And you can point to a million examples of how you've never actually, you as a person, you as a country have never actually lived up to your ideals. Exactly. But the ideals are still meaningful.
0: Meaningful not because we live up to them, but because they keep shaping us and curtailing the boundaries of legitimate action. And I think we should all the more stick to them when faced with such unadulterated brutality and savagery as we are now. And I will also say that I have many thoughts about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I have both intellectual, high-level ideas about the problems in Israel and Palestine, and certainly plenty of emotions for both people. And my feelings about both sides, as a culture, as a society, as a political system, are complex to say the least. I don't have simple simple colored ideas or feelings about either. And the complexity of the Israeli situation I've talked about, at least in two or three podcasts in the past here and you can listen to my talk with Khabib Gore on the Dispatch podcast or with Tomer Persico both here and on the Dispatch podcast and Nadavial, and because of all these complexities, because of my understanding of the tragic situation in Israel and Palestine I usually refrain from making overly moralistic simplistic comments on this matter and I think even in this case I tried to refrain. I have no... There is no grayness in me about the genocidal murderers that were sent by Hamas. And I don't have any grayness in me about Hamas as an institution. I think it's the darkest type of regimes. It is the epitome of tyranny and brutality. I have no... Dimensionality, no richness, no nuance to offer them. However, that's not the the rage that I needed to exercise. Where my my immediate anger goes to are to the people who have trained themselves by practice and through long, sophisticated words to undermine. Their own sense of morality and under the guise of freedom and justice have aligned themselves with the murdering, butchering, oppressive despotism of Hamas. And of course, I'm talking about drum rolls. The American left. I I have one more thing to get out of the way. I will also at some point probably want to talk about the, the other side of my rage, which goes to the Netanyahu government and Israel's strongman politics that have contributed to the hollowing out of Israel, the Israeli security apparatus and the Israeli system into the state that it is now, where it is barely standing. We always thought that everything was held by duct tape in Israel, but it, it's not just duct tape. It's a castle of cardboard held by duct tape. And to realize how true this is and how much damage has been caused to this fragile brittle construct was some sort of red-pilling, I think, for me. Even though I always thought that. The, the change from theorizing about it to fully understanding how bad it is is something that I'm, I don't think I've really started grappling with. And, and I will. And Israeli society will. And the people who have hollowed out our country and have led to its destruction will. But this is another time. And another thing that will 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 be dealt with another time is the same strongman, facile politics that we see that we that has hollowed out Israel, happening on the right, who try to exploit this horror to play their cultural war games domestically. Okay, I think I am done with caveats. So, with mm-hmm. the, those things, we'll deal with another time. Today is devoted to the fucking American left and their response to the pogrom.
1: Yes. And for perhaps obvious reasons, I am a little less active in this conversation between Eli and Adam, um, but I did have some thoughts. Uh, so if you are curious to get my take on the situation in a little bit more depth, stay tuned after the conversation with Eli. Um, but yeah, let's not de- delay the catharsis any longer. Shall we get into it?
0: So I'm actually going to start with asking our guest because we have Re- returning so guest. time. Returning guest. Phenomenal returning guest. How many hours of sleep are you on? How many hours of sleep am I on? Um, four. We're sh- there's a shared insomnia <laughs> on with, um, among certain people currently who are just dealing with the unfolding situation in Israel. And I... I I just figured that I need to do something for this and uncertain things. I couldn't figure out what, and the only person I had some notion of wanting to hear from is you. I I texted you. and said, you are my uh, source for reason and catharsis. Well, uh, (laughs) I gotta
2: tell you, um, your podcast that you did with Jonah on the dispatch. Skiff was fantastic. It was really good.
1: I agree.
0: Thank you. Um, so this is un completely unstructured and this is just about trying to process things let's start with your current crusade uh Eli. you you are um when you're not writing or going on podcasts or actually doing um thorough deep analysis you seem to be hunting down people on twitter and 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 calling out their moral yeah. decrepitude um, illiteracy um, Yes. Illiteracy. <laughs>
2: um, tell me about this. Well, I mean, listen, Twitter or X has become, in some ways, uh, it's become like useful again because yeah. it's a great way to see the videos and to sort of catch up with what's happening. It's something that I care about deeply as a as a Jewish American, uh, a Zionist, somebody who's been to Israel many times, and then you then you encounter people who call themselves progressives, who are the first, you know, to whip up campaigns because a tweet from five years ago was interpreted in such a way, not just saying, you know, the usual pablum about, you know, de-escalations and ceasefires, but reveling in what they call decolonization, resistance, um... Kind of the ma- fusing lies about Israel and this this occupation or the blockade and with with um, as a as a justification for a pogrom and um, I, I have said this on Twitter I've said it on a couple podcasts the Democratic Socialists of America are the National Socialists of America because they have celebrated Nazis now it's interesting today sensing the heat from that despicable rally on Sunday in New York City and other cities. So just
0: context for people who who might mistake this statement as just a a heated rhetoric or vitriol. The DSA has... The NSA. (laughs) (laughs) The newly reconstituted NSA has... Promoted, celebrated, and defended an event planned for Sunday in New York in support of Palestinian resistance a day after the worst Jewish pogrom since the Holocaust took place. And the issue is not I want a Palestinian state.
2: It's not I I you know I mourn the loss of of
0: children in Gaza. It's. Not that, and, and, and let me let me yeah. okay, caveat within caveat. This should be also clear because we're just jumping into it with our moral outrage. But this is something that I'm I'm almost tired of having to explain. But yeah. we will do it for the sake of you know, sane listeners who are just genuinely clueless about the the region or about our perspectives on this,
1: or the reaction that's been happening, or the them.
0: reaction and everything. But let's just say it up front this is not about the the relationship between israel and uh palestinian uh, would be state this is not and it's certainly not an imputation of the palestinian as a people or and certainly and certainly certainly not the Gaz- gazans who probably suffer the worst of all worlds in their current circumstances they are probably some of the tr- most tragic uh people in the entire hu- human world right now amen in, yes so let's just be clear about this. The Gazans are in a tragic situation, and my heart truly breaks. It has been breaking for them before this atrocity. It has been breaking for them from for the horrors that they have to suffer under Hamas, and um, and, and in relations to the Israeli state. And it's and it certainly breaks for what is about to happen to them now. This has nothing to do with what we are talking about, and the people who went to the quote unquote. Um, defend Palestinian resistance or s- strengthen Palestinian resistance on Sunday also have nothing to do with that because their defense is not about Palestinian liberation it's not about justice, it's not about um, human rights it's certainly certainly not about human rights but it's about showing support for Hamas who has conducted the worst atrocity, the worst Jewish pogrom since the Holocaust uh, It would be like
2: holding a rally for solidarity with the German people the day after Kristallnacht. That's what it is. That's why (laughs) I call them National Socialists of America. Now, um, a couple points that I think are very important here. Point number one, the rally itself, as well as many of the tweets, as well as Black Lives Matter of Chicago putting out the graphic of of one of these um, subhuman demons on a glider... Uh, saying "Free Palestine," um, that the paragliders
0: who, who, who parachuted into a music, uh, a music festival, yes, in in the south of Israel, where civilians, yes. were two three hundred civilians were or more than three hundred civilians were partying, inebriated, and and the paragliders surrounded them and executed them on the spot. Three hundred people. Murdered civilians murdered by those paragliders that BLM puts as their newfound Che Guevara symbol of of liberation. Correct. Now, so
2: on one level, that of course is endorsing uh, pogrom, it is endorsing, uh, you know, a lust for Jewish blood. And it's disgusting on that. But on another level, It is deeply, deeply racist against Palestinians because it assumes the Palestinian people are as savage as the barbarians who rule over them. And we can never... And this is why I really am at the point now where I will call out names. Ali Abu Nima, Max Blumenthal, Jewish Voices for Peace, who are now Jewish Voices for Pogroms. These organizations are traitors to the Palestinian people, let alone, uh, you know, allies of 21st century Nazis. They are traitors to the Palestinian people because the Palestinians are weaker than Israel. And this act, this atrocity, will isolate them politically, diplomatically. It will result in a very heavy military retaliation. Um, it will further immiserate Palestinians living in Gaza. What's more, I think it is clarifying because this is the only proof you need as to why there are border controls that are tightly monitored of what comes in and out of Gaza. Because these thugs, these savages... Had, if they're truly under a blockade, how in the world did they get bulletproof vests, advanced drones, rockets, missiles, submachine guns, you name it? So, I mean, that's the thing is that they're saying the blockade is why you are getting this response. And it is a total inversion of logic. No, the blockade is because this is what happens. Now, I mean at this point I just think the only humane solution is regime change in Gaza full stop. I mean I would go further. I think you need to you need to have an ultimatum to the Qataris and the Turks to to hand over their leaders. You have to basically end this disgusting organization and I think that the Iranians if these reports are true, not just the Wall Street Journal, now the Washington Post although there's some differences on whether the Iranians gave the, the green, green light. But there's there has now been some reporting and good reporting on the fact that the Iranians helped plan and the operation and train these operatives. Um, they need to pay a, a price as well, and it is absurd that there could ever be a nuclear deal with Iran at this point. There can't be, and it's it's it. I understand all the arguments, and this is not. I don't want to put people who I have policy disagreements on Iran. They're certainly not in any close to the same category of the Cretans who um, are are reveling in, in the murder of Jews. But there has to be an understanding. There is no formula that will entice these barbarians into the civilized world full stop. They are not our only problem. We have Russia. We have China. We have a, a world that is a very dangerous place right now. But you can't – we don't get to choose. We don't get to say, oh, well, you know, maybe if we did this formula or if we, if we did this transfer or if we had this or, you know, we, had, we allowed 6,000 instead of 7,000, whatever. No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're dirt bags. and ultimately the goal – we can't do it right away. We shouldn't invade Iran. But I'm saying the goal has to be democratic revolution in Iran – we cannot live in a world with these, with these barbarians. Full stop. We can't. Israel's the canary in the coal mine, but we just cannot. And we just have to accept that.
0: The distinction between foreign policy disagreements and uh, theory behind the Iran deal and placating Iran somewhat, and on the other hand, what you call the Cretans, the, the BLM, the, the newly constituted NSA... These. This is actually really important. Yeah. Because the on the first side we have something that at, at its worst is um, Chamberlainian appeasement. Yeah. Because appeasement is not about yeah. You, I, I, I we want to turn a blind we eye. We to We don't coming put Chamberlain in it. the
2: same category as Hitler.
0: Exactly. Right. And Chamber and the, if you want to be historically as fair as possible, there was. You can understand Chamberlain's perspective. You can understand the people who try to reach an Iran deal thinking that this really is the best way to mitigate um, Iran's progress on getting nuclear weapons while at the same time limiting American involvement and being able to focus more energy on bigger threats like China, potentially Russia. There is, there is a logic that they followed that, that was not merely let the, let them kill Jews. NSA and BLM clearly are saying let them kill Jews not only let them kill Jews please kill Jews this is what freedom looks this like is, this is what this decolonization is, yes, looks is. like right and it's it's
1: not just a few like people on on Twitter, I think this is the thing that's like painful to watch. It's not like a few nutty people it's, just it's, discussing. It's not, it's not, it's it's not a like, single
0: BLM supporter that has been nutpicked to represent the entire movement. No. We're talking about BLM Chicago, one of the yeah. largest branches. We're talking about the New York DSA. We're talking about the entire DSA. The,
2: the entire DSA supported it. So did their college wing.
0: And we're talking about uh, universities, politicians. We're talking, and we're talking about all major elite universities who had chapters of, of of national organizations signing letters saying, in different tones, the same idea: we are okay with the massacre of Jews because this is what our twisted version of decolonization looks like. Which means your twisted version of decolonization is akin to Nazism.
2: Yes. Ow, well stated. And I'll just say this. The irony, of course, is that only three years ago, these people had enormous cultural and political influence because they were seen as the sort of arbiter of what was and was not racist. And here they are engaging in the oldest prejudice in the book. Now, that tell, that I believe that they have just they have impeached their, their, their moral credibility. But I would go further. I would say that anybody who tolerates them at this point if you know what I'm saying, if if you're in, if you're not interested in the Middle East, and God bless you if you are not interested in the Middle East, you know, great. And you just are you you like the socialists because, um, you know they have the right position on you know the the General Motors strike, healthcare, healthcare or whatever. Okay, you, you it's it's now no longer okay. You have to treat these people like the Ku Klux Klan. You can't say, well, you know, I agree with them on this, so I'm going to partner and they're going to be in my coalition, you know, on climate justice or something. No, find other partners. They should be the political equivalent of Ebola. Totally toxic. They are COVID. Um, And, you know, there was an interesting thing that happened with, in regard to some of these groups at Harvard that signed this disgusting, you know, statement or whatever. Bill Ackman, who is a hedge fund guy, went on Twitter and said, I'd like to know who their names are so we don't hire them. And then, of course, people like Mehdi Hassan and others were like, oh, that's cancel culture and McCarthyism and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. And these are the same people who were cheering the canceling of people for like tweets they wrote when they were 17 years old. That they can Well denying that cancel culture is even a legitimate concept. Exactly. And now they're now they're decrying it, which is, you know, they're you know, you know, Crimea a river. But on but I'm saying that no. From the river to the sea. Yeah, exactly. Like just replace Jews with blacks. Okay. I mean, it's it's completely unacceptable. And that's the part as diaspora Jew, as a diaspora Jew, where I say, this is a scary moment. We saw the last Gaza War, by the way. We thought they were like, kind of Palestinian Americans, but you saw in LA, like they were like roving around looking for Jews to beat up that had yarmulkes on. That was disturbing. That was very bad. We saw it in the 2000 uh, teens when there was a Gaza war in France, where there were people who attacked a synagogue. Um, But now you're seeing organizations that at least, you know, until recently had a bit of political capital on the left and now it's like you have to, you, you, you know, we have to, it's a time for choosing. You cannot stand anywhere near DSA, NSA, sorry, um, at this point and, um, and be, a you know, part of a respectable, decent society. I may be, you know, I may be outvoted and I'm, there might be people who will, you know, tolerate it. But at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I,
0: that's, that's how I see it, you know. That's exactly what I've been feeling over the past four or five days, i I don't know.' It's, it's all one flat day, yeah i I'm almost grateful for this cleanse that i've I've been undergoing this intellectual cleanse of I am no longer in any sense feeling obligated to put myself through the twists of. Explaining exactly what nuance in these organizations I find reprehensible, while also giving credit to the intellectual layers that make it a legitimate or even a worthy um, being in our in public in public affairs, not anymore. This is this is easy. You have endorsed massacre. Yep. You are pro Holocaust. The end. You are no longer a legitimate organization, and we just recorded advisory opinions, and at the end. I got into a conversation with David and Sarah about how every single form of antiSemitism was never abstract hatred. It always had beef. I call it it's the it's the the protocols of the beefs of Zion. There was always something that that justified the extermination of Jews, whether it was religious justification or economic justification in the case of national socialism, they were. The reason why th- they're the reason why our economy is stagnating and therefore we need to get rid of them. So today it's decolonization. But the fact that you have a story to tell about why beheading babies is legitimate does not does not make it, it any less of not just anti-Semitic, genocidal yeah. than Nazism. Um so good, we're agree on that. But um, I I was wondering. How do we manage this pivot now that Israel is going to attack in Gaza and the pictures that are going to come from Gaza are, are going to be horrific and it's going to be stomach-churning and so, and there are probably going to be some, some actual war crimes in the sense that I would even decry as, okay, Israel fucked up here. This is likely to happen. And within two days, four days, the world is going to turn and the the ghouls and the NSA are going to say, ha, huh, we told you so. Democrats are going to fall in line, probably, and Israeli legitimacy, this brief moment of grace is going to vanish.
1: Yeah, to put it in your words, Hamas will have won because Israel will become the monsters that they have, have oh, invoked mean, them this is into the being. the purpose
0: of terrorism, right? The, purpose, the logic of terrorism isn't to... Merely terrorize the population, but to terrorize them into overreaction, so that they become the demons that they want that, that the terrorists want to portray them as that the terrorists see see them as. Let the whole world see the monster that was within. I'm, I'm not so sure this time.
2: I think they mm. I think they may have yeah. they may have stepped over a line. Um, if this was just another rocket war, I would agree with you, but it's not another rocket war. We we have un- we have voluminous evidence of this pogrom. It is probably the most recorded pogrom in history. It was advertised by Hamas. And I am not in Israel, but I have been talking to friends in Israel. And the mood there is that there will be no tolerance for anything but full eradication of Hamas. And Netanyahu is not in a strong political position. He, even if he wanted to maneuver his way into appeasing Joe Biden if he changed his tune, um, I don't know that he would have the political space to do so. So I guess I would say that I don't see it working this time. I also think that there is sometimes a reductionist view of the response to these things, which is to say that It's natural for human beings to focus on the negative comments. I mean, I certainly, like, I I have written pieces that I'm very proud of and I've gotten wonderful feedback, and then I will focus on, you know, the The two readers who tell me that I'm an idiot. And (laughs) I think something like that happens on a larger scale in Israel, which is to say that in the period that European public opinion and opinion within the Democratic Party has turned in some ways against Israel... I think they've made new friends in India, they've made new friends in Kenya, they've made new friends also in these places of people who just sort of see through the, you know, convoluted and, you know, cretinous moral relativism of, you know, this sort of dominant opinion. And this dominant opinion, I think, has been exposed as a failure. I mean, just to bring in something that, and this person has nothing to do with what just happened, but... In America, as you probably may have followed, there's a kind of controversy with Rob Malley, who was the envoy to restarting the negotiations with Iran. Well, you know, back when Obama was running for president, he was an informal Middle East advisor and had to leave because at the time, you know, he he was open about meeting with Hamas leaders. Anyway, he was brought back in in 2013. And, you know, for a while, it seemed like the Democratic Party had sort of moved to where Mali is, but I think this is a moment where you like look back and you can find him, you know, in documentaries and in panel discussions online, talking about how, you know, they're not crazy. We have to listen to them; they have their own logic. You know, they also have social organizations. Those, the, uh, th- this thing, even though anyone who's been paying attention knows how barbaric Hamas has been since 1987 when they were formed. Um this is, this is going to have a lot of ripple effects. And so I am not so sure that it's going to be like in four days. Yes, you will hear those voices. I don't think they're going to have an effect on Israel. And I'm hopeful, although I don't want to get too hopeful, but, you know, based on what President Biden said yesterday, my hope is that he will, um, you know, stay the course. If he doesn't, which is possible, There are things that the United States can do to pressure Israel, but it would be, in my view, I think it would be a political suicide for him and his party. Because I think the American people, this is the weird thing, is that we're seeing these pockets of the left showing us, telling us who they are. And I think that we're also, what we're not really counting on is that I think there's so many normal Americans who look at this and they say, wipe these savages off the face of the map. And I think that that is a very human response. And I think most normal people think that. And, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be a political genius to figure out that that's, that's probably where you want to be in the 2024
0: election. I really hope you're right. So what do you think about Netanyahu and his uh, place right now in the Israeli mind, as far as you can tell? Well, um,
2: you know, I, I, I was, we talked about this before, I was critical of his outreach to the Judeo-fascists, um, and I'd written about that. I thought that the protests were way overboard, and I had some sympathy for judicial reform, although I'm not an expert in it, and I, I tended to sort of, you know, want to hear both sides, and I wasn't passionate, but I do think that the judiciary probably has too much power. But at this point, none of that really matters. What right. matters is that That Netanyahu believed that he could manage the conflict with Gaza, and that it was that he that it was in Israel's strategic interest to leave a weakened Hamas in place.
0: And and by leave a weakened Hamas, you mean protect its rule in Gaza to some extent, but to mow the grass. To the
2: idea would be that you would preserve preserve the right. But we're we're not we don't want to have anything to do with Gaza. We're not going to reoccupy it. So. Better that they're run by these
0: lunatics. And there was a logic to that. And it's not, it's not, it wasn't just that. The logic was even more complicated because he was thinking that, the, the thinking was that a Hamas in Gaza weakens the Palestinian Authority. So having an equilibrium between the two of them is in Israel's best yeah, but interest. I don't want to, I mean, yes, that is, this was Netanyahu's approach.
2: But it was also the approach of the national security establishment for Israel. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And, 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 and that in, that fairness, complicated. in fairness, it worked. Even. I mean, I, for what it's worth, I was against it. It, it worked for 10 it. years. What? It worked for, for 10 years. It did. And it works until it doesn't work. But right. now it is abundantly clear that, you know, we, we, they cannot exist. So, you know, and so in that respect, yes, it's very sad what's going to happen and is happening. There will be innocents who were killed and 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 it's it's deeply unfair to the palestinians who are gonna to have to suffer but i'm sorry but the primary person or entity to blame for that is hamas not just because they no. invited the attack it's also because they use they use their own population as human shields that is it is it is something that they seek to do which is to they want they want dead babies and so that's why they launch their missiles from hospitals and schools and mosques, and that's
0: why they have weapons depots there, and and that's why whenever Israel tries to to convince citizens to evacuate certain areas, certain neighborhoods, certain buildings, Hamas counter offends with stay put because yeah. they want do they want. Savagery. They want those the pictures of the carnage because
2: they are right, and it's and it is an untenable situation, and it has to end. And I'm 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 pleased to see that the goal of these military operations is to wipe out their
0: leadership, which is exactly what has to happen. It's one of my it's 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 a cliche in Israeli society, and I'm, I'm I've been in all my conversations recently. I've been hammering the importance of sometimes clinging to those cliches because they. As much as I'm a, a, an anti cliche um, crusader, those, those specific cliches sometimes, sometimes some of our tacky ideas of ourselves are the DNA of our moral ethos, and holding on to them actually long-term shapes our behavior for the better or for worse and one of those cliches in the context of the israeli-palestinian conflict is that israel is a culture of life and and hamas is the culture of death or a cult of death this was captured so perfectly in in the videos circulating recently of mobs of jewish vigilantes Trying to get to uh, in, an injured Palestinian in order to exact uh, mob justice, and it's been shared mostly by people trying to show, look, the Israelis are just as barbarian. So, but the context is that those barbarians are known quantity barbarians are are uh, a minority in Israel that is known as the La Familia, an actual gang, an actual Jewish supremacist gang that most Israelis deplore. But more importantly, and this is the the systemic expression of these cliches of the ethos of life. What the video actually shows is Israeli police dragging out and violently, dragging out violently Jews in order to protect an injured Hamas terrorist after the massacre who's currently being treated in an Israeli hospital. And it's an Israeli hospital treating a Hamas ter- Hamastic terrorist. That to me is amazing. When Baruch Goldstein shot up a mosque,
2: and I believe it was 1994, 1995, the entire Jewish world, the Israeli government, came down on him and and expressed that this this animal brought shame upon our people. If Baruch Goldstein was an Islamist in Gaza, there would be uh, posters of him glorifying his martyrdom. Let, and again, like, let context. that sink in. Let it sink in. And it's what the frustration here is that it would take something this horrific for us to believe what these fucking animals in Hamas have been telling us since they began. It's in their charter. Kill the Jews. And, like, I think that there's a problem in the West in dealing with this, I've called it the weak fascist problem. That if a group is fascist, but they don't have the same amount of power as the group that they're fighting, then we somehow do not understand that, that, that if they did have that power, they would be Nazis. Or they, you know, they're Nazis, if they had that power, they would implement
0: these horrific things. So, you know, I, it's like... I Which leads to the moral justification that because you're powerless, you are actually justified. In, in, yes. in celebrating it's martyrs, it's in absolutely celebrating absurd. Murderers. And But I do want
2: to raise maybe a, a harder question, which I, I struggle with. I have made the point on Twitter, I've made the point, I was on the Fifth Column podcast uh, this week, that, you know, Hamas has stood for one election, which they won narrowly for the Palestinian legislature. They have not stood for elections. And so I don't think we can say that the people of Gaza support Hamas. But I also don't know that we can say they don't. And um, that at a certain point, you know, the brainwashing, the programming, um, which Hamas and their patrons pour a lot of money into, I mean, I think it does have an effect. It's child abuse. They've, They've turned their children into monsters. Now, not all of them, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I, nonetheless, people are. We've seen occasional flickers of protest. We know that you you don't really have a choice. You have to go along with this kind of awful Jew hating um, because they are, you know, a vicious gang, and they will they they will punish you. They will torture you. They will they will imprison you if if you if you go against the line. They'll call you an Israeli spy. But on the other hand. Um, When I saw officials from the Palestinian Authority on some of the news networks claiming that civilians were not attacked because all of those people were settlers, when I saw them denying what was plain, uh, when I saw them refusing to denounce this, even though people you would think in the PLO who are rivals to Hamas would have every motivation to denounce it, that does raise an awful question about what is wrong with Palestinian culture. And I hate to ask it because I think that that can lead to a lot of dark places. And I know plenty of individual Palestinians who absolutely loathe Hamas even more than me because they see how dangerous they are. So I don't, it's not everybody or anything like that. But there is something that we have to sort of address here because not everybody who was cheering the mutilated body of that woman on the back of the flatbed truck this weekend in Gaza City was compelled to do so.
0: Some of that is who they are. Maybe. I don't, I really feel like we have no tools right now. To I really. Agree. No, I, I start off by saying it. we don't know. Yeah, no, 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 I know, I know. I'm, I'm yeah. bringing this back because I really don't feel comfortable in any direction. I think that this is, this could well be true but it also could not be and i don't know how to approach this cuz we know for a fact that there are non-hamas affiliated gazans who fully supported or at least are quite happy with the with the sight of the carnage because this is like they said this is the culture the the pleasure they get is from massacring jews and on the other end you see gazans non-affiliated uh, with hamas who are terrified for their lives, not from Israel, but from Hamas. And yeah, I agree. Would, it's a complicated question. That's why I wanted to sort of set it up. as yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I
2: posed it as a question. I'll just add one more thing. Yeah. I had an experience over the summer. I visited the first time in my life a concentration camp. So I, I visited Dachau and I went and I wanted to sort of see it alone for myself. And as I'm going through the camp and I'm reading about it, and you know, I'm, I'm fairly knowledgeable about the history of World War II and the Holocaust, Um, I found myself being overcome with not just rage, but the sort of visualizing a kind of violent fantasy of murdering one of these SS guards. And it's a very human instinct. And so I just... I just would say that. It's not an excuse. It's not to say that this pogrom is because of the dispossession and occupation and what did you expect decolonization to look like. That is not what I'm saying. I am saying that when you have a culture that um, from the very youngest age with children, you know, gives a version of Sesame Street that glorifies suicide bombers, that glorifies the Palestinian Baruch Goldsteins, um, we might have a, a a bigger problem than we we'd like to think.
0: Let me let me say exactly the same thing, slightly differently. It's n- n- human nature to feel uh, an uncontrollable desire to seek. Th- th- Justice in the bloodiest sense on people who have wronged you, even in the abstract. Yeah. Even if you just have the notion of being wronged by these people, if the if the wrong is severe, or even if it's if your grandparents were wrong, then you. If it's your story, yeah. But what matters is how we've been cultured to process this rage, and and how we've taught ourselves to think it through, moderate it, and be more reflexive of the bigger value of either human life or of uh, deeper sense of civilizational existence. And these are the values that define a culture. And the question is whether the decision of death cults in the fight against Israel to completely eschew any sort of prosperity-based Humanity based vision of the future and completely devote themselves to destruction and the glorification of this very primal human urge is something that we can overcome, or is it, uh, are we too far gone?
2: Yes, and I would Mm -hmm. just say this that when you deal, and that was, I mean, listen, I mean, I don't have a memory of the Holocaust happening in real time. Fortunately, my family was out of Europe by then. It's But just the power of that rage can consume you. And if you, I'm just saying, I mean, like, you can have all of those restraints, but I, you can also see that if somebody has experienced something horrific, and by the way, this works on the other side too. Yeah. Um, the IDF soldiers who are going into Gaza, if they knew people, they had families and relatives in those it scene where they went house to house, I mean, I would be consumed with a kind of rage and I don't know that you could talk me out of it. And that that's a very human thing. And you just have to gotta, you know, just recognize it. <laughs> like
1: yeah, I guess I'm, I'm reminded too of what you first said at the beginning of our conversation, Eli, about how 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 racist it is against Palestinians to be painting them as if it, this was the same brush yeah. of what's happening now. And I think it's it's it, there are many many marginalized groups. There are many people who have been oppressed. There are many people who have suffered atrocities. And they do not necessarily answer with atrocities. Yeah, that's true. In return, right? And I think, like the Jewish uh,
2: people, yes,
1: like the Jewish Although people. Although there and were many, Jewish many atrocities, others. we should
2: say there were atrocities in '48. Of course, there've been atrocities yeah. in Jewish wars. Absolutely.
1: But the, the experience of atrocity does not justify the perpetuation of atrocity, right? And we should be able to to understand that fact when we're evaluating world events. Well, I would world, say that in most events. cases
2: you're right. But I mean, there's a famous story about when the Americans liberated Dachau. And there were the guards and then there were these emaciated prisoners. And the prisoners began with what little strength they had, literally beating to death in a brutal and savage way, and the commander of the American unit told his guys to let it happen. And in that's a situation where I would say, yes, let it happen. The liberation of Dachau. You don't think that the I mean, guards again, deserved, did the guards deserve to did
1: right.
0: the guards deserve to be lynched? I think they did. Let me give you let me give you a different question. Okay, deserve so, is not the question. W- I think right, right, exa- right, exactly the yeah. and, and certainly not it, 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 i'm not sure the question is what what i feel and what they deserve because the answer for both of these are easy for me but here's a different question that i've been trying to work out with a friend so you know how the ben government was trying to advance the a law that will allow the execution of terrorists i think we talked about this last time something that I'm very uncomfortable with, especially because of the very loose definition of what constitutes a terrorist. But it, even beyond that, even if you can really find airtight due process for capital punishment in Israel, it still changes Israel's understanding of what it is. Israel decidedly outlawed capital punishment and only created an exception for the execution of Eichmann. Bringing it back is signaling that we are turning into something a little darker. Maybe not significantly darker. Maybe it's pragmatically necessary to embrace this dark approach for deterrence or some other kind of natural strategy. I have
2: a problem with the whole construction. Israelis have no problem killing terrorists.
0: I don't know. I think what do you mean? A, they, they, they do
2: operations all the time where they kill
0: terrorists. Targeted, yes, targeted killings. You're right. are they, they. Maybe you're right. But this is actually my point. And there's no due process in that. It's just right. Right. There's even le- less due process in that because theoretically they count them as combatants. But you, but no, I actually agree with the, this point. My point is that it's less about due process and less about the uh, whether capital punishment is a good strategy, um, criminologically speaking. My question is: Does that that shift, that internal shift in Israeli identity, matter? Because I think it does. I think part, it, it was part of the, these internal set of cliches and um, hypocrisies that shaped the, the the Israeli embrace of life and be uh, and sense of moral superiority. The the ex- exclusion of capital punishment was part of that, part of those set of beliefs. If and Baruch Goldstein out, had lived. After his massacre, I wouldn't have a problem executing him. Again, morally, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I like that we would not have. It. So, but so you would not have a problem with this. You don't think that this, in a way, I didn't have a problem when I, I mean, listen, I didn't
2: even have a problem.
0: Like you know, there was a big debate in
2: 2006 when they were trying Saddam Hussein, and my only problem with when he was executed was not the fact that there were some solderists who, you know, captured his death on cell phone video. I I didn't particularly care. Um, my only problem was that I would like to have seen trials for his other many crimes. But, um, yeah, the only thing you can do with a Saddam Hussein, the only thing you can do with an Ismail Hania is a uh, you know, bullet in the back of the head. I mean, I'm sorry there's just evil in the world, and I don't think that Israel is less moral or less dedicated to life. In fact, I think that there's an argument that, in a sense, by defending the Jewish state, by killing the people who would do great harm to the Jews... They are defending life. I mean, I believe that if Hamas is wiped out and you can get some sort of Palestinian authority with other Arab states in a kind of interim, I mean, this is a big if and if and if, and maybe I'm wish casting, mm-hmm. but if you can get to a point where there's another election in Gaza and they can, you know, bring in a more moderate and pragmatic, you know, governance, then I, I would give the IDF a Nobel Peace Prize. Because part of Peace and security is the vigilant, relentless, and resolute defeat of people and groups
0: that seek nothing but war. There's something different for me morally, but maybe it's a distinction without a difference. No, no, no. It's okay. I mean, there's a lot of people who disagree with that. Of killing uh, an enemy in the field or... If they're in their hideout and the only way to get to them is through really targeted assassination and being able to grab hold of them, arresting them, and then executing them. So even without passing judgment on the morality of it, it's just different for me. Okay. So, and I think part of the reason that it's different for me is because I was raised Israeli. So I've always been taught to feel... to to develop a certain emotional distinction, discernment between those two approaches to executing an enemy. And one of them feels wrong. One of them we've been taught, we've been inculcated from day one in Israel is something that we do not do.
1: Right, you're seeing, what was it that David said in your conversation, the the moral injury? It would would injure the the Israeli soul to go down that path in a way that Americans, we don't, have that like that is not part of our character. Our like we believe in. I mean, corporal your, your, punishment. Yeah, your I moral suppose soul
0: sees, sees value in, allows for yeah, execution, in, in just eliminating evil from this world. Right. Well, I mean, listen it's
2: it's a it's a dangerous intoxicant. This approach mm. and you, it can easily lead to injustice if you apply it mm. too broadly. But I don't. I think Hamas in this case is an is an easy case. Um, and it's also you know this it, you know it, it it's a clarifying moment you can't live with in a world with these people yeah. and 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 that's why i'm not entirely sure that it's going to be like other wars that israel has waged in the past because i it's going to be very hard these are well documented and they're really the reason that you're seeing this dominating the news in this way and kind of leading to this engagement and everybody kind of being sucked into this is because you can't look away just to give it an example in 2013 2014 if you remember um, ISIS beheaded on video one of the aid workers yeah american opinion turns overnight and barack obama is back in iraq Th- that was his big accomplishment i ended the iraq war and he sends guys back into iraq and the air, you know and syria and we have this war against ISIS. And the war against ISIS was successful, by the way. So I, I guess, you know, what I'm saying is that was a hinge moment. And that brutal scene of just one person being beheaded on video was enough to turn the tide of opinion in, the, in a superpower. This is like 1,000 beheading videos and what they might do with these hostages. And there are Americans involved. I just don't think you can turn around even in a month and say, okay, you've done enough. Yeah, there will be voices that will talk about it and there'll be casualties. And in the end, some moral idiot will say something like, well, you know, 6,000 Palestinians were killed and only 1,500 Israelis were killed. But I just think that that's only going to work for the other zombies. It's not going to work for the rest of us. And I think we outnumber them by a lot. Uh,
0: the the idea of we can't live in a world with them reminds me of Hannah Arendt's final lines in the uh, the banality of evil because she didn't oppose the execution of Eichmann but she opposed the terms under which it was justified as an exception in the Israeli law. And I I, I had to look it up while you were talking to find it, and it was uh it, it was exactly about inhabiting the same world and he says um, blah 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 blah, blah. Um, and just as you supported and carried out a policy of not wanting to share this is Aren't saying what the uh, prosecutors should, or sorry, the judges should have said in justifying the execution. And just as you supported and carried out a policy of not wanting to share the earth with the Jewish people and the people of a number of other nations, as though you and your superiors had any right to determine who should and should not inhabit the world, we find that no one—that is, no member of the human race—can be expected to want to share the earth with you. This is the reason, and the only reason, you must hang. I had some issues with banality of ish, evil, but that was a very good line. Right. I, I, kind of, I knew that this is exactly what you're going to say. It's like I knew <laughs> that you're going to cringe at the fact that you're about to agree
2: with Hannah Arendt. Hey, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't really like Chuck Schumer right now or Kathy Hochul, but they had very strong condemnations of the NSA rally. I I can we make this a thing? Can we make NSA a thing? Like let's I, I'm 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 joining you. I'm yeah, joining yeah. you. I'm
0: the first recruit. All
2: right, listen, before we go, I have to ask, because aren't the two of you are based in Brooklyn? Queens. Queens. Oh, okay, Queens. But you're in the hipster land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hipster, Jason. Okay. Yeah. Are any of your friends
0: getting sucked into this decolonization nonsense? Okay, so a friend of mine who lives in one of my favorite neighborhoods in the world, Astoria, has t- reported that so many of the shops that she loves have had pro-Palestinian paraphernalia put out. It's not a good sign. She tried to get into a conversation with some of them because she cares about the neighborhood very much and texted them. Try to, you know, maybe you should read the right articles to change your mind about this. She's a newly converted Jew, so she's still very optimistic about the power of such communications to change people's minds. The responses she got were as discouraging as you can imagine, mostly just expressing the sort of lazy attachment to what they think is a trendy belief without realizing that the overtone window may have shifted back. Kinda of cute. They they're surprised that they're now being under assault by people calling them insanely genocidal and racist. they never expected that this could ever happen and they're and, and they feel hey, indignant. That, didn't didn't this crowd start punch a Nazi? Well, punch yourselves. But that's that's that that's some that's some of the yeah. signals that I'm I've been getting at from the other side. I've get it, I've got distant friends or second degree friends, who are like, can you explain to me because I don't understand because Hamas clearly doesn't intend to kill civilians. Oh so really?
2: are how... oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay, Vanessa.
0: Mm.
1: Not in my circles that I've seen. Um, someone I know uh, works in a. Uh, a very lefty, left-leaning organization. And I think she's coming up against it and hearing about it. But uh, And then she asked me a, a similar question, like, I, but wait a minute, isn't Hamas different from Palestine? I don't understand why they're getting upset like right now. So I think there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people who under who instinctively understand that this is the wrong response, but don't exactly know the intricacies of why or the details of why.
2: Okay. Um, one more thing I just, wanted, or maybe just in our, in our mutual catharsis, Adam and Vanessa. Did you see so the Israeli Defense minister said, "You know, it's all out war." And then he said, "You know we're fighting animals." And then I noticed the um, national socialist crowd seizing on that, saying, "This is the rhetoric of the Nazis." And I was like, no, he called Hamas animals. And, and, you know, my response is, and I've been, you know, out there on Twitter, as you guys know, I was like, and that, frankly, it's an insult to beasts to call them animals. They're worse than animals. They're fucking demons. But my question to you is, I mean, like, am I getting too emotional? Like, am I wrong? Like, that it, it, you know, Israelis should refrain from that kind of la- rhetoric or like, I'm like, who
0: cares? I I usually this is this is the thing that I feel the the clans that I mentioned earlier. Normally I would say, of course we should refrain for this kind of language, even though I wholly agree with it. I stand by this. I yeah, have no Exactly. They're flung. Yeah, exactly. They're, Not the power I, mean, I, mean, I mean also, also yeah. you know what? You know what? Well, just pause. Like this is me getting into my loop of like, yeah, let me think about the complexity. Like, wait, we're talking about people who went into villages of civilians on the intention of massacring civilians, achieved said intention, massacred at least, and counting, 1,200 people, carted off elderly children, women in trucks to be held hostage in Gaza for or later executed, Filmed all that, celebrated all that, had smiley, cheering emojis attached to the slaughter of civilians, showed the mangled bodies of women that they've just raped and murdered, and and while they're smiling and and celebrating, playing happy, cheery music around it. And now we're thinking about whether or not we should be calling these monsters monsters. Give me a fucking break. Yes.
2: Can I just? I'll share one more <laughs> thing of my kind of. Twitter experiences here. There yeah. was, uh, sadly, I, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a kind of a Jew that goes to a dark place. So there's this guy who's like, <laughs> my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, but I know that, you know, as that I will not judge the, and it's like the military tactics of any oppressed people fighting, you know, from a ghetto, whether it's the Warsaw ghetto or Hamas. And I just let this guy. The Warsaw
0: up. Ghetto did not escape the ghetto in order to massacre neighboring Polish civilians. It's
2: absurd, and more important. What are you talking about? More importantly, what the fuck this are you guy, talking about? I want to name this guy. Hold on, just a second, because I really feel like. <laughs> please do Unser- no please
0: do this nonsense this idea of the Warsaw Ghetto I've seen this cliche come You've up seen so it. Yeah, many yeah, times exactly. do you know what the Warsaw Ghetto is do you fucking know A. what happened in the Warsaw Ghetto when the Warsaw Ghetto rebellion happened it happened in response to an action where the Nazis came in to destroy eliminate the ghetto to exterminate every single person there Israelis are trying to save civilians in Gaza we are we are warning buildings at the expense of maybe alerting the terrorists that we're trying to get in order to save civilians we're sending messages we're sending warning shots in order for the civilians to evacuate the buildings even if that means losing the actual targets that we are seeking because we want to preserve life in this enemy region because we appreciate life even when they are under opposition government
2: okay can now i i gotta, I gotta let, you about know about what I'm, i know i know i'm a I glutton can't for punishment this. i know okay and let me i know i'm a glutton for punishment here This guy's name is Nathan Tankus, okay? And I'm just gonna, let me just read you the tweet, okay? He's writing a book, by the way. He's an academic. Let me be crystal
0: clear. As a Jewish
2: grandchild of Holocaust survivors... So also,
0: also, anybody who starts with the sentence, let me be crystal clear, is already using this time. It's like saying, um, this is the time when you're trying to process the sentence. S- sentences like, let me be crystal clear, is when you are shielding yourself with mangled euphemisms and cliches and twisted logic.
2: Yeah, okay, let me be crystal clear. As a Jewish grandchild of Holocaust survivors, I am always on the side of the people imprisoned in ghettos and not on the incredibly armed and modern army who serves as their jailers. You're not going to be able to bully me into another opinion. I don't want anyone to die, but I also don't, won't participate in contextless haranguing of military strategy launched from a ghetto, whether it's Jewish partisans during World War II or yes, even Hamas. Whether or not I, Jewish writer living in New York, criticize Hamas is irrelevant. The only thing that truly matters coming from a U.S. citizen is whether you are truly against the occupation and want to see it ended, including uh, through ending USA to Israel, and whether you don't. The rest is just noise. Nathan Tankus, if you have some rotten fruit and you see him... I wouldn't be against you throwing it at him.
0: This uh, guy to 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 dis- I, I, uh, for just ignore, but okay. fruit is within the acceptable norm of. Yes, reality. exactly. Don't
2: hurt him, but uh this guy who has the audacity to say I'm a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. You are disgracing your family and your people. I hope you get like disgusting, like hemorrhoids
0: or something. Like yeah. fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> so you, to your Eli. question, are we are we being a little uh, are we emotional right now? Yes, I think I think we might be a little emotional right now.
1: I think this is a good time to note that this will be a more explicit episode than usual. If you're watching with young children at home, perhaps wait until later or put on the headphones. Um two things before we dive into it. Um, and I mean, for obvious reasons, I am less active in this conversation than than you and Eli. But I do want to comment on on something that you that you've brought up, which is, you know, Kind of ethos of uncertain things to explore things from both sides, to criticize rhetoric and ideology on the left and the right, um, to not take stories that you hear in the narrative as given, to understand that there's complexity behind most of most of what what we're seeing in the world today and to give space for that complexity, however. <laughs> Um, we've talked about this. You and I are very naturally inclined towards seeing things on both sides, towards intellectualizing, um, sympathy, empathy for people, assuming good intent, trying to unravel logic. And these are all like relatively positive qualities in us as humans, but it it doesn't... abnegate us from understanding what is right and what is wrong and understanding that in fact there are things that are just so clearly black and white even though mo- so much of the world is gray there are things that are clearly right and that are clearly wrong and i do think it's important you know with all of all of the the news cycle and the reaction that people are going to get you know sucked into the stupid Cancel culture-ish, whatever dichotomy, and it's like, you know, as a human, <laughs> what is right and what is wrong, um, and I think it's important for for thinking, feeling, moral people to say so. Um, I'm not on the like, you know, at the level of Adam and Eli in terms of like getting into Twitter fights with people because you know, for that's not my style, but I still think that there's there should be some clarity in this moment. Um, and if you're not seeing why there's clarity, that's that's a problem. Um, <laughs>
0: it,
1: cl- it does not come at the expense of complexity, is what I'm trying to say.
0: It's funny, because I guess this the, the uncertain thing ethos is in our blood. I listen to you and I'm like, yes, but <laughs> the idea of... I, I, I honestly don't think that there is a black and white. And I think this is the fundamental cognitive dissonance from which all other cognitive dissonances emerge. Moral relativism is correct. Subjectivism is correct. There is no moral truth. But is the fact that there is no moral truth mean that you have no moral context in which you work, in which you operate? Or is the idea that you don't there is no moral truth in this objective sense just license for you to? commit any act of savagery that gives you good vibes. And back to my point about committing to the cliches and committing to certain lies about ourselves, that is what shapes moral truths. There is no deeper sense. There is no way in which you dig deep into your heart or search far enough and refine your ideas in a Kantian way in order to extract this moral imperative you build an ethos from the cultural stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and you commit to them and if the American left progressives want to commit to a new myth a myth of true tribalism and brutality, completely abandon the story of a universal human experience in the name of fuck you got mine, then so be it. But now we know what it means. Now we know what it looks like.
1: Mm. I I, I also don't want to come across as if I'm saying that because there is moral clarity that there's, I think you're also kind of hinting at this that there's justification for acting out or like I mean we're Tonight. gonna get into this with the conversation with Eli because exactly. I think he has a slightly different line on this but for me personally just because someone has some sense of moral clarity here it doesn't <laughs> doesn't mean that all actions are then justified in response. In response to that, like there, you still need to hold yourself to a moral standard. Um, But I do think that mo- moments like this of clarity are important on a societal level and also on an on an individual level. I mean, you and I were talking about this in kind of more personal context, but there's there's a difference between acceptance and forgiveness, and when you see right. when someone has wronged you or has done something wrong you don't have to accept it but you can forgive it if you choose to now this is obviously i would not i'm not not trying to draw a parallel here i don't think we should forgive hamas this is unforgivable um but there is a difference uh between seeing something as right and wrong and then how you choose to act in the face of that wrongness, right? And so, I just wanted to to bring that up as something to think about as people are having these right. <laughs> conversations and debate.
0: <laughs> it's actually um, a good, good opportunity for me to lodge in one thought that I didn't get to say while recording the conversation with Eli, which is in regards to cancel culture now coming for the left from some people, because in response to some of the comments that have been made on the left in the past few uh, days, hours, which were explicitly supporting the Hamas massacre. Some employers said, I want to know the names of these people who are in colleges and universities who are endorsing these actions so that I can make sure not to hire them. And this is uh, (laughs) the classic moment of my, how the tides have turned. (laughs) I'm there's a deeper discussion of this matter on the advisory opinions episode I produced today for with David French and Sarah Isger, and you can listen to that. Maybe it'll be in the show notes. But and I think there are two issues. First, and this is for another time, the fault is not with moron college students. The fault is with the universities that cultivate them and and never push back and have... Let this culture fester. And I am being radicalized in my pre-existing skepticism and rage at the predatory Ponzi scheme that is American elite universities. But there's a second issue, which is forgiveness. And people can grow out of their early perceptions or even midlife perceptions people can evolve and this is something that critics of cancel culture were saying to the left and this is something that we need to say to ourselves now and that's a little addendum that I didn't get to mention to Eli I think Mm
2: -hmm.
0: unless you have something more to say
1: I have one last thing to say um which is, I do want to just take a moment to recognize that <laughs> you have been through the ringer the last few days. And despite it all, you've gone on multiple podcasts, including this one, which is not, which is not like a, a little thing either because the stakes are so high for you and your everyone who's listening to you and all of your family and friends who are going to want to hear what you have to say and feel like you're going to represent the situation clearly and well. And I did just want to take a moment to acknowledge that you've stepped up in this moment, done your best. And also, despite the fact that you're grieving a, a, a sense of your country, a sense of... What was like? I know you're in shock, and it's all being repressed and pushed down. But I do just want to acknowledge that it's not a small thing that you're talking, having these conversations, doing the work. Um, and, and despite it all, and despite all the rage, you're still trying and grasping for understanding, good faith. And I, I just wanted to acknowledge that that it's it's an important thing that you're doing, and it's um think a testament to your character
0: uh we'll see about that (laughs) but thank you and on that note time for some unadulterated rage with Eli Lake (laughs)